<clears throat> We're going to read the first 10 verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And that's all here, the Lord's Word. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. And God will bless that reading for his name's sake. Would you bow with me just for a moment? Let's still our hearts, ask God to come, draw near and speak to us. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, we ask thee now to be the preacher. We pray that thy word will come with power. We'll have understanding, not only in the technicality of the words of Holy Scripture, but we'll have the understanding of how this applies to us individually. For we believe, Lord, there is a word that will be in season for everyone who will have ears to hear. Grant that now, we pray, and grant the liberty of the Holy Ghost. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. And amen. My text this morning is found in the middle of verse 7. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. For a whole lot of centuries, a lot of ink has been spilled by the commentators as to the identity of Paul's thorn in the flesh. What was it? Well, the remarks of these few commentators will give you some insight into the difficulty they've had to come to understand what this thorn actually was. In introducing his comments on this text, Albert Barnes wrote, Almost every expositor has had his own opinion about this. The great Baptist preacher that preceded Spurgeon 
John Gill said, Many have been the thoughts and conjectures of men about what is here meant by the apostle Marvin Vincent, the author of Vincent's Word Studies. He said, The explanations of the peculiar nature of this affliction are numerous. And contemporary commentator Randolph Tasker comments, that really sums up the problem nicely. Here's what he wrote. The difficult expression, thorn in the flesh, has given rise to an immense amount of discussion and to a great variety of interpretations, none of which has received anything approaching general acceptance. So you can see why Matthew Henry in his handwritten notes made the comment, we are much in the dark what this was. There are over a dozen different suggestions from commentators on just what it was that Paul was suffering from. And they can be divided into basically two categories, either spiritual or physical. Spiritual or physical suffering. Regarding those who believe that Paul was suffering from some kind of spiritual malady, the list includes depression, lustful thoughts, demonic visitations, enemies who opposed his ministry, and a variety of Satan's fiery darts. The preponderance of conjecture, and that's what it is, conjecture, falls on the side that maintains that this thorn in the flesh was something physical that troubled him. And the suggestions that fall along that particular line of thought was that Paul was afflicted with poor eyesight due to ophthalmia, which is a severe inflammation of the eyes, conjunctivitis. Or it was epilepsy. Some have said they thought it was kidney stones. If you've ever had kidney stones, you will know why you'd want deliverance from it. Gallstones, gout. Spurgeon suffered greatly from gout. Headaches, and finally, earaches. If that's not problem enough, making it even more difficult, there is very little help given from the word study. This is the only time in the New Testament that this particular Greek word translated thorn is used. The only time is here. Its primary meaning in classical Greek is a stake or a pale. So disabuse your thoughts of a little thorn, a little irritant. That's not what he's talking about. A stake or a pale. It is found in historical writings of that time period to refer to impaling or crucifying someone. The basic idea in that word is that of something that is very sharp and pointed. So very painful. The word that Paul uses for flesh is the common Greek word. And that word is used numerous ways. It can either, in the New Testament, it can refer to Paul's body, his physical body. It can refer to his human nature. Or it can refer to, as it is in the New Testament at times, this, this fleshly, carnal, sinful nature. That's the word. It has multiple meanings. 
Nor does the phrase messenger of Satan give us any help in determining whether Paul's thorn was a spiritual problem or a physical problem. You recall it was Satan who attacked Job with boils. That was a physical problem. It's also Satan who sends the fiery darts that the apostle refers to that are quenched by the shield of faith. That would make the thorn a spiritual infirmity. Well, after all that's been written, we're no closer to discovering the true identity of Paul's thorn in the flesh, and I, for one, am very happy about that. There are a whole lot of Christians who have not have found any help from that if it had been that specific in saying it's one certain things. It would have ruled them out. But since it's wide open, you know, it's kind of fill in the blank, the thorn in the flesh. I liken it to the troubles you read of that David had in the Psalms. Many a time he does not tell you what his particular trouble was, but those Psalms have been such a, 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 an oasis in a desert at times for the child of God because it was so general. And you feel that that's the Lord's word for me, that's exactly where I am, which would not have happened if it had been some specific reference to a specific situation. So I want to preach this morning on a text of Scripture about which we cannot, we cannot be clear on the details. But there's enough truth in the general truths of this text and the surrounding context that will give us, I believe, abundant truth on how we are to deal with our thorns in the flesh. That's the thing I want to preach to you this morning, dealing with our thorn in the flesh. There are four things I want us to see. If you happen to take notes, you'll hear the outline up front. First, the realities of our thorn in the flesh. Then we're going to look at the, the common response that we have to our thorn in the flesh. Then thirdly, we're going to consider the only remedy for our thorn in the flesh and then finally, we'll look at the blessed results of our thorn in the flesh. So let's, let's get in and unpack this verse and just find out what is the word God has for us today. First, the realities of our thorn in the flesh. First reality, thorns in the flesh are very painful. That's like a no-brainer, isn't it? But we forget that truth. They are very painful and they were meant to be very painful. Whatever this thorn in the flesh was for the Apostle Paul, it was something that was causing him tremendous grief. Whether it's spiritual pain or physical pain is not the point. It was pain. It was obviously a pain that persisted that would not go away. That phrase, buffet me, is in the present tense. In other words, it's ongoing. There was this long duration, or perhaps it was even permanent. It's not going to go away. Moreover, he asked God three times to remove it, which would indicate that this thorn was over a long period of time. And it had gotten to a point where the apostle felt that it was unbearable. You don't pray this way unless you think you can no longer deal with it. Please, Lord, take it away. 
I don't know, but I imagine that some of you have been that way in the world of physical pain. Kidney stones I have had. I've had no pain like kidney stones. And you pray, Lord, make this pain go away. It's unbearable. But it persists until that shot of morphine comes in the vein and then you finally get some relief. Some of you might know what it's like to have spiritual mental anguish that way that you feel it's unbearable, that you can't take any more of it. That's the kind of pain. That's the reality. These, these thorns are painful. And is, is it not that which makes the pain so bearable, unbearable that there's no prospect of it going away? If you could see the light at the end of the tunnel, if you just knew in another month or another year this would all be resolved, but you don't see any light at the end of the tunnel and you feel like it's going to go on and on and on and there will be no relief for it. It remains. God does not take the pain away. He does not remove the thorn. We often too easily forget, and that's why we need the reminder that this world is a veil of tears. As the Puritan John Trapp put it, we come into this world with a cry and we go out with a groan. That's reality. It was never meant to be heaven to us. It was never meant to be our final resting place, our source of ultimate joy. That's somewhere else, not here. The entrance of sin into this world brought with it an ocean of grief that has so often filled our eyes with tears and our hearts with pain. And sometimes it's racked our bodies. In this world, we will have tribulation. In this world, we must expect heartaches and fiery trials and not think that they're strange things. Our day of unending bliss from these thorns is down the road, but not now. So I simply say, don't forget that reality Painful thorns have always been and always will be a part of our life this side of heaven. And we're not thinking biblically if we find ourselves in a place where we think otherwise. Expect it. I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. The reality is, in this world, you will have thorns. Second reality There is no exemption, it follows on from this, there is no exemptions from thorns in the flesh for any child of God. First off, what do I mean by that? Even though you may have been given in your walk with God great privileges, those great privileges and maybe seasons of great nearness to God, they will not exempt you from being given thorns in your flesh. The Apostle Paul As great a man of God as he was, as privileged as he was in seeing revelations in abundance, he didn't escape them. He was, in my mind, the greatest of all the apostles, but he had a thorn in his flesh that would not go away. 
If that's true of the Apostle Paul, it's going to be true of you and me. We're not going to be exempt because we've had great privileges, greatly blessed by God. We won't escape them. If you have been blessed by God with great gifts or great privileges and you've enjoyed seasons of great nearness to Him, don't think for a moment that you're going to be immune to heavy affliction. Rather, I would say, expect it. Like Paul, we need these afflictions of life to balance out the blessings of life. Isn't that what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 7.14? In the day of prosperity, rejoice. But in the day of affliction, consider. For God has set one against the other that we might find nothing after him. He has ordained them both. You and I both know that what we want are the days of blessing all the time, the days of prosperity. We don't want to hear about the days of affliction. We don't want the thorns, but God is the one who has set one against the other that we might realize he's all there is and he's all that's necessary. No matter how much our faith has grown, no matter how Christ-like you and I may be, No matter how deep our understanding of the gospel and of the scriptures, the experience of Paul teaches us that great spiritual privileges will not exempt us from thorns in the flesh. You see, I liken it to how the Lord speaks to his people at times. Sometimes, you know, God whispers to us about his will about direction for us. He whispers to us through all the blessings and all the prosperity, whether it be health or whether it be spiritual. But too often we grow hard of hearing and we don't hear what he's saying through the whispers. And so the Lord turns up the volume And what would not get our attention in the whispering surely gets it when the thorn comes, when the affliction comes. Now we find ourselves, Lord, what are you saying? What do I need to hear and what do I need to do now? And what is your will now? But we didn't hear that when the days were smooth. We got really interested in it when the days were rough and the pain was deep and the grief was lasting. Then we began to pray and to listen for answers in a way we hadn't before. That's your story and mine over and over again. We need the thorns. No great privilege will exempt us from it. Moreover, previous afflictions don't exempt you from it. Just because you have already gone through deep sorrows of life, don't think for a moment that now you won't have any more deep sorrows of life. Turn back just a page to chapter 11. 
Let's hear about Paul's afflictions in verse 23 of chapter 11, referring to these talkers about being apostles. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. The fortieth stripe was the stripe of death. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He'd already gone through all of that. You and I haven't gone through one of those things. And yet on top of all of that, there was given to him a thorn in the flesh, a pale, something sharp and pointed that he felt he could not take. He didn't say that about the rods, about the stripes, about the shipwreck, about the hunger, about the care of all the churches. But he did say it about this thorn in the flesh. Prayed God to take it away. I can't take this. The prior troubles did not save him from having even greater ones. You'd think that after all he had gone through, that the Lord would have spared him. But he didn't spare him. He pondered that. You'd have thought that he would have been toughened by all the sorrows he had experienced so far. But he wasn't so tough he's not, where he's not crying to God, please take this away. It did bother him. It moved God, moved him to keep crying to God over and over again. Take it away, take it away, take it away. You would think that it would have been enough for Job to lose all ten of his children at one time. Burying ten of your children in one funeral. Surely that would be enough, but it wasn't long after that that Satan came along and afflicted him with boils where just sitting still was painful to him. Wouldn't sleep at night because just lying down, crusting sores, constant pain. And the Lord gave Satan permission, you just can't kill him. That was a thorn in the flesh. He'd already gone through so much. We only make our afflictions more painful when we think that our previous troubles should prevent us and protect us from having greater troubles and sorrows of heart. We're not thinking like the Lord. Going down that line of thought is a pathway that will 
lead us to doubting his love for us and doubting his wisdom and what he's doing. And that's not a path you want to go down. Thirdly, strong, powerful, believing prayer will not exempt you from the thorns. Three times, three times the apostle prayed. I'd love to have heard him pray just to hear this man bow his knee before God and pray and wrestle with the Lord about this thorn in the flesh. I believe he prayed in faith. I can't imagine Paul not praying any other way but praying in faith. I believe he prayed with boldness, with confidence. He, he understood his acceptance before God. It didn't matter about how often he might have failed or, or sinned against the Lord. He was resting in Christ's righteousness. So he comes to this throne of grace with, with boldness. And he prayed, therefore, with expectation. He wouldn't have kept going back to God. He said, he's not answering. I have to go again. He must want me to plead more, and I'll plead more three times. Because he knew the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, right? It accomplishes much. But our asking isn't always in line with what God plans to give us. No matter how deep the pain, how unbearable it seems to be, we can ask God to do things that just are not in line with his will. And removing the pain is one of them that was in line with his will for Paul. God said to him, Paul, I'm not changing my mind. This is your lot. So the reality is that these thorns are painful. There is no exemption from them. And thirdly, the reality is it is Christ who gives us these thorns in the flesh. It is Christ. Paul says in verse 7, there was given to me. Given. Oh, it's true, he knew that the immediate cause of his pain was this messenger of Satan, whatever that was. But he realized that behind it all was the sovereign hand of Christ, his Lord and Master. This thorn was given to him by Christ. It's the same thing that Job, when the Lord took his chin, ten children, he didn't blame the Sabaeans, he didn't blame the devil. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. That's how Job viewed the pain that was brought into his life. This is Jehovah's doing. That's the reality. As Eli said to young Samuel, when young Samuel said after his dream, here's what's going to happen, Eli. Because of your disobedience to God and not dealing with your reprobate sons, this is what's going to happen to your family. What did he say in response? It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. End of story. End of story. Paul knew that the Lord sent this thorn into his life. So that being the reality, 
What's the application? What are you and I supposed to glean from that fact? And I think you would all agree with that statement. It's like fundamental to the Christian life. So what does it say about this truth? Well, it says, does it not, that since it's Christ who has given the thorn, we can find comfort and tremendous comfort in knowing that he fully understands the sorrow caused by the thorn. No one understands like Jesus. I say it reverently, the Father didn't go through the sufferings of Christ. The Spirit, it was Christ in the flesh who understands what pain and grief and sorrow are like. He was called the man of sorrows, and he was acquainted with grief. Is your thorn perhaps the rejection of family and friends? It's a hard one to bear. Then consider Christ. He was rejected of his own who knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Even his own family for most of his earthly life rejected him, and did not acknowledge him as the Messiah. Is your thorn loneliness? Christ knew what it was to be all alone. To be utterly forsaken by everyone. Is your thorn poverty? He was born in poverty and lived in poverty all his days. He never knew wealth. Is your cross physical pain? Oh, the Lord went through physical pain. If you've ever read any account of what that suffering was like of the Savior on the cross, you will know he went through tremendous physical pain. Is your thorn persecution by others? The Lord knows all about it. You may well be able to say, and be true in saying it, that no one else understands what you're going through, and there are things that you have to go through, and no one else understands them unless they've gone through it. Words won't bring you there. But you can't say that about Jesus Christ. He does understand. And it's not just mental apprehension. His heart is touched with our grief. Knowing that Christ is the one that gives the thorns in the second place, the reality is he never makes a mistake in giving the thorn to any one of his people. Never makes a mistake. Now you know that. 
you know that it's impossible for Jesus Christ to make a mistake. That means that the one who inflicted this, this thorn in Paul's life knew exactly what he was doing. It was done deliberately, with intent, and with a design. He knew, he knew, Christ knew the degree of pain it would cause Paul. Whatever the thorn was, he knew the effect it would have upon Paul. He knew that Paul would come crying to him to take it away, whatever it was. And he didn't make a mistake. It was all planned out. A wise plan, a perfect plan, a plan that was shaped and formed in love for his servant. And whether, whatever the thorn that the Lord has given you or given me, whatever grief he has sent into your life and is not taking away, you all can rest assured this morning that he knows exactly what he's doing. He knows what needs to be done in your life through that thorn. And he knows how much pain you can bear. He knows. You don't. But he does. Therefore, don't murmur, complain about the Lord's ways. Because it's causing you grief. There's something he is intending to accomplish through the pain that would not be accomplished otherwise. And I am speaking from experience. The grief of losing my wife has not gone away. But there's something the Lord is doing that could not have been done otherwise than by taking her away and giving this thorn. That's how God works, child of God. That's how he works. Let's look secondly at the common response to the thorn in the flesh. Those are the realities. Now let's look at the response that so often is our response to the thorn in the flesh. And Paul's initial response in his thorn in the flesh was to pray that God would take it away. Verse 8, for this thing I besought the Lord thrice. The word besought is the verb form of the noun paraclete. Surely you all have heard the term paraclete. That's two Greek words, para, alongside, cleat, or kaleo, the word call. Called alongside to succor, called alongside to help. And so what Paul says, I besought the Lord, I've been calling, it's a strong plea, I've been pleading with God to come alongside of me and take this thorn away. Because it feels unbearable. It's hindering my ministry. It's hindering my, my life. I can't live as I ought to live with this thorn. That's utter nonsense, you know. But he didn't see it. The apostle didn't see it. 
He's an apostle. He's walking with God. But he didn't see that truth. So do we. Just take the thing away. Make the problem go away. Make the pain go away. That's our common response. Funny enough, three times in the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ pled, if it's possible, take this cup from me. If it's possible, take this cup from me. If it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but thine be done. There's the difference in Christ and Paul. Is this not our initial response to these painful thorns that God sends into our lives? We want a quick fix. We want the shot of heavenly morphine. Fix it. I don't want to deal with this. I can't deal with this, Lord. We want deliverance from the hurt, from all the grief that the thorn is causing. And so we tell the Lord all about it and, and we ask Him and we seek Him some way, shape, or form to change our circumstances to deal with this thing, this thorn that's causing all this tremendous grief. But the situation doesn't change and the thorn is still there and it's festering and it's as painful as ever. And our focus becomes on the thorn and the pain. It consumes us. We go to God again with more earnestness in prayer and, and more tears and more strong cryings. But the Lord still leaves the thorn in place. Nothing changes. And we grow more impatient. We go a third time to Him and we tell the Lord about, Lord, this is so painful. We can't take any more affliction. We can't take any more disappointment. It's enough, Lord, it's enough. But the Lord, He doesn't remove the thorn. Why doesn't He? Because there's a lesson that's got to be learned. And we haven't learned it yet. A lesson. He's teaching us that we need an entirely different response to the thorn than what we've had. You can keep on, the Lord is telling Paul, you can keep on praying about this, Paul, but I'm not changing it. It's staying in place. What you need is a different response than what you've been giving. A different one. So the Lord has been, for who knows how long, he's been silent to Paul's plea. And that, that leads us to the third point, which is the only remedy for our thorn in the flesh. When the Lord finally answers Paul and his prayers for the thorn to be taken away, God says, my grace is sufficient. Now let's, let's break that thought down for a moment. We'll just take the words, grace. My grace is sufficient. What better word could I actually use this morning to sum up all that's wrapped up in that word grace than the word love? 
Let's plug in love now, all right? My love is sufficient, Paul. In spite of all the pain, my love is sufficient to deal with that pain. Say that to yourself. Even in the midst of the sorrow, in the midst of the grief, his love is sufficient. His love, knowing that the Lord loves me, is all that I really need. If I know that, not just up here, if I know this in my heart, that my God, that my Savior loves me and will never stop loving me, that is sufficient. We can face anything. We can go through anything as Lord as, as long as we know the Lord loves me. It's all right. It's all right. If I have that, I need nothing else. If Christ loves me, then I must make a conclusion. If Christ loves me, then whatever he does is because he loves me, not because he's against me. Whatever he does, whatever he sends into my life, It's not a token of his anger. It's a revelation of his love. Paul, I have given you this thorn because I love you. Because you're mine. And I've got plans for you. I've got truths you need to learn and you haven't learned yet. If Christ loves me, then the thorn, the affliction... The persecution, whatever it is, was given to me in love. The, the pain was sent to help me, not to hurt me. That's a big difference, you know. It, it, it sounds strange. The pain was sent to help me, not to hurt me. To bless me and not to curse me. You see, that's the whispering of hell. You have to go through this because God is angry with you. You've lost favor with God. Let me tell you, you will never lose favor with God. You'll have to lose Christ for that to happen. And you'll never lose Christ. Thorn is not given to me to punish me because I'm sinful. But because he loves me, he sends the thorn to prosper me because I'm his child. His love is sufficient for any thorn, any sorrow any affliction. Wasn't it Charles Hodge when asked by one student in theology class, Dr. Hodge, what do you think is the greatest theological truth of all time? He leaned back in his chair and he said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Oh, brothers and sisters, 
He loves us with an unending love. It doesn't vary. That's the only remedy for the thorn in the flesh. If only we knew how much the Lord loves us. We don't know a smidgen of how deep that love is. A smidgen. But the cross, oh, the cross is the great revelation of how much the Lord loves us. He would set aside his son to get us. He would curse his son so he wouldn't have to curse us. He would pour out his wrath, all of his infinite wrath, upon his sinless son so we would not be the recipients of his infinite wrath in hell forever. Now that's love. And here we go, stumbling through life, falling and failing, sinning. And the Lord says, I still love you, and I will always love you. This thorn I have sent, this hurt, this pain, is to prosper you. Because I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you an expected end or a future full of hope. That's the Lord. And we lose sight of that. Why? Because our focus has been upon the thorn and not the giver of the thorn. My grace... My grace. If it's his grace that comes from him, my grace is sufficient. It's the grace of Christ. Christ is our covenant head. He is our one mediator. Every blessing that we've ever enjoyed and ever will enjoy all come through Jesus Christ. He's the surety of the better covenant. He's the one who guaranteed his father that whatever they need, whatever they need to bring them to glory, I will take care of it. That's what a mediator does. That's what the surety does. Fulfills all of our covenant obligations. It's his grace. He's the head and we're members of the body. So, therefore, why in the world do you and I find ourselves doubting, particularly when the thorn comes in so painfully sharp? Why do we doubt his love? Why do we doubt that the Lord is always for us and never against us? Why do we expect the worst to happen? And think that the covenant is really all about making life difficult for us and bringing the worst things could ever happen into us instead of thinking it's all working together for good. Thomas Boston has a great little book called The Crook in the Lot. It's worth buying and worth reading and studying carefully. He had a crook in the lot. Do you know what his was? He had a wife that suffered from mental illness. And she would have mental breakdowns and had to be locked away in her bedroom at times. 
Boston writes, he would have to go to the outhouse, close the door and weep so the children wouldn't see him weeping. This is my crook in the lot. The lot is cast into the lap. The Lord brings the lot in our life. It's all been planned out, every detail. And he brings a crook in a crooked place. But it's the Lord's crook in the lot. So that means that this grace that we need is sufficient. It will always be sufficient. It is what we need. It is his love. It is his grace. It is his mercy. I like what one writer said about the mercy of God. The Old Testament word is kesed. The loving kindness is tender mercies. Same word. But he said, he, he described it like this. The Lord will do whatever it takes to bring us safely to glory. He will do whatever it takes. Whatever. Now that is a sure thing. You see how that believing that truth for the just shall live by faith. You see how believing that truth deals with the thorn in the flesh. And the pain. And the fear. And the despondency. It's his grace that's sufficient. (laughs) It's not my faith that's sufficient. It's his grace that's sufficient. It's not my obedience to his law that's sufficient. It's not my holy living that's sufficient. It's not my crossing all the T's and the I's dotted right where they should be. It's his grace that's sufficient. And nothing else is. He will never stop being sufficient for us. And God will cease to be before there is ever a time when the grace runs out. Sufficient is the third word. What a word. There's no way of measuring its depth, its breadth, its height, and its length. Christ's grace is sufficient. It's not grace plus something else that you need. To deal with the thorn. My grace is sufficient, Paul. Do you need strength? Do you need comfort? Do you need wisdom? Do you need hope? Do you need holiness? Do you need joy? Do you need love? Do you need peace? Do you need victory over sin? Do you need repentance? Do you need restoration? Do you need patience? Do you need endurance? Do you need contentment? You see, this, this is a blank check. Just fill it in. It's sufficient. What I have is sufficient. You need nothing else. You know, there was a time Spurgeon was in, he battled with depression, as I'm sure most of you know. Uh, he was getting in his carriage, horse-drawn carriage, on the way to church, and he was really down that particular Sabbath morning mulling over how bad things were and he was just depressed and the Lord impressed this text 2 Corinthians verse 12 verse 7 my grace is sufficient for thee and he said all of a sudden it hit me and I started laughing what an understatement my grace 
is sufficient. He said, I should say it is. My grace. Do you see? That's an understatement. It's more than sufficient for any thorn he'll send our way. Grace. What about, finally, the blessed results of our thorn in the flesh? God never gives grace in vain. He's got a plan, a purpose. In the first place, this, like nothing else can, subdues our pride. We're a proud bunch, you know. We really are. We like, like, we like to think that we're humble people. If you know yourself at all, you just watch yourself rear up when someone says something about you you don't like. Who are they? They're looking down the nose at other people that just don't see things like you do. It's hellish pride, and it stinks to high heaven. God hates pride. He hates it. One of the seven things the Lord hates is a proud look. Has the list. So Paul writes, lest I should be exalted above measure. Paul had these visions of paradise 14 years prior to writing this letter. And it took, it took this church in Corinth questioning his apostleship to drag it out of him. It was that circumstance of, okay, let me tell you about something. I had this experience. You know, Paul was subject to the folly of pride like everybody else. But God gave him a thorn in the flesh to check that pride. To remind him that all that he was was by the grace of God. It's not you, Paul. It's me. It's all about me. It's not all about you. So, brothers and sisters, if if a thorn in the flesh is needed to humble us and to keep us humble, we do well to thank God for it. That'll be a benefit of the grief, of the pain, the suffering. There's nothing worse than old pride that puffs up and makes us think we're somebody. We think we're God's gift to the church. We think we have all the answers. We think we know better. We become critical and judgmental of others and quick to point out their faults. To take the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, we are so good at seeing the splinter in our brother's eye, but we don't see the log that's in our eye. So the Lord says... I've got a fix for that. It's a thorn. Not only does it subdue our pride, but it produces gladness. That was the upshot of it. Verse 9, what's he say? 
Most gladly, therefore. Verse 10, I take pleasure in. Those are words of joy. Those are words of gladness. Before it was grief, it was sorrow, it was pain. Now it's gladness. Why is there now gladness? What changed? The thorn didn't go away. But now he found the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. End of verse 9. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory. I'll boast in my infirmities, in my thorn, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. It produces gladness. I don't think Job ever knew the level of joy that he knew after his losses and crosses. It went to another level. Because now he said, I heard of thee with the hearing of thee. I knew something about, but now mine eye seeth thee. Same for Paul. Same for us. But don't miss the final thought here. That the power of Christ may rest upon me. You know what that meant? It made Paul much more useful to the Lord's work. There was power upon his life that he hadn't known before. He wants the thorn taken away. That's all he wants. Take it away. I can't bear it. The Lord says, no, I'm not taking it away. And then the Lord brought him to the place where he saw the reality. His grace is sufficient. His power. It's when I am at my lowest. And I see and feel that I can't do anything apart from grace. Now the power of God fills me. Now I am useful. It makes us so much more useful. These thorns in the flesh do. And that, brothers and sisters, is the Lord's answer as to how we are to deal with our thorns. What's yours? What have you been asking the Lord to just take away and fix? But it's not happening. Maybe it's not going to happen. Ever. Well, all that matters is Jehovah's will. It is the Lord. Let him do what seemeth him good. But know without any doubt, his grace will be sufficient for you. He's doing it for a purpose, to perfect you. And you have been praying, haven't you, to be like Jesus. Isn't it wonderful how the Lord answers prayer in ways you never thought? God, write that word on our hearts for his name's sake. Let's seek the Lord together in prayer. Let's all pray. Father in heaven, in our Savior's name, we thank thee for thy word this day. Sometimes, Lord, thy word comes to us and they're hard sayings. But we pray, Lord, that as we think of the one who gives us the hard sayings, we'll always believe it comes from a tender heart, with infinite wisdom, and always with a purpose to do us good. 
Dismiss us with thy fear and thy favor upon us. Bring us back tonight in the joy of the Lord and the fear of the Holy Spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.